Good morning, BookTube. Today, I wanted to talk to you about a very important topic. The topic is morality. In one of the most iconic scenes in American literature, in one of the most important books, important works of American literature, namely Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, there's a really famous scene where Huck and the runaway slave Jim are on a boat and they're on the river and Huck has to make a agonizing decision. He's been told by his family and he believes that it's a sin to help Jim run away to freedom, to run away to steal the slave from his owners in the antebellum South. But at the same time, Huck has forged a kind of friendship with Jim. He cares about Jim. He sees him as a friend. And so he doesn't want to give him up. And so Huck has to make this choice between, on the one hand, hell, the torments of hell, what he believes is going to be this divine punishment for violating the will of God, and concern and compassion for another human being. And he agonizes over this decision, and in the end, he says, damn it, I'll accept hell. I'll take hell. Another famous work of literature or philosophy is Plato's Socratic dialogue called Euthyphro. In this dialogue, in the Euthyphro, Socrates is meant to be the protagonist. He's talking to a younger character named Euthyphro, and they're talking about a court case that Euthyphro is bringing against his father. And in this Socratic dialogue, Socrates just asks a lot of questions and he tries to interrogate Euthyphro's ideas about piousness, about justice, about morality. Personally, I'm inclined to read Euthyphro and to look at this dialogue from the perspective of the other character. Of course, Euthyphro is not the protagonist. He's not the hero of this dialogue. But I see him as a character who's faced with one of these really agonizing moral decisions. The story goes, we learn, we read about in the opening of this Socratic dialogue, that Euthyphro's father murdered a slave. He was responsible for the death of a slave. And Euthyphro is now prosecuting his father in court for this murder. And Socrates is not at all convinced that this is the ethical thing to do. This is the right thing to do. And I assume, although it's not really evident in the dialogue itself, but I assume Euthyphro probably agonizes over this decision. Another reason I'm inclined to read the dialogue from the perspective of Euthyphro is in my own life, I've had to make tough moral decisions. And I've had moments when I've really struggled and I brought my decision to someone that I respected as being a really smart person, as being a really well-read person, as being a very thoughtful person. There are moments in my life where I've sort of presented my thought process or, or my conclusion with the hopes of getting some feedback, of getting maybe some pushback or some criticism. And I've had experiences where the person that I bring this to maybe seizes on some minutia 
in what I say, some really insignificant triviality, and he just, or she just runs with it and just goes off on like a deep philosophical tangent that has nothing to do with what I wanted to talk about, with what I wanted feedback about. And I'm left sort of feeling mystified and in a way really heartbroken, really sad and, and frustrated. And when I read this dialogue, the Socratic dialogue, that's sort of the sense that I get. That's what I'm reminded of. I, I see Euthyphro as someone who could use some helpful criticism, perhaps, could use some feedback. And I see Socrates as completely bungling it, as completely dropping the ball, as giving no help to Euthyphro at all. And I have here with me complete works of Plato. The very first dialogue is Euthyphro. And let's um, read a bit inside and let's, let's analyze this. Let's think about this philosophically. Remember, this is one of the foundational texts of Western philosophy. When we think about the legacy, the heritage of Western philosophy, what does that mean? We're talking about Socrates. We're talking about Plato. So I was in college. I had to read this in college and this, had a, this book had a very, very high reputation. And so now we're going to ask the question, how does it hold up on a second read? Let's take a look. When Euthyphro tells Socrates that he's prosecuting his father, Socrates says, my dear sir, your own father? Euthyphro says, certainly. What is the charge? What is the case about? Euthyphro, murder Socrates. Socrates, good heavens, certainly Euthyphro, most men would not know how they could do this and be right. It is not part of anyone to do this but of one who is far advanced in wisdom." End quote. And so one of the characteristics of Socrates and this dialogue is this obsequiousness, this patronizing tone that Socrates uses throughout this dialogue and his other dialogues. He talks to these people and he like pretends to think, he acts like he thinks that they're such brilliant people, but it's so obvious from the way that he's talking that he's just engaging in like this base sort of, I would say, gross flattery. And he's really doing it to insult them because he knows, and the reader knows, and the interlocutor knows that Socrates thinks he's so much smarter than this guy. But he's like pretending, he's playing this act like he thinks he's so dumb. And it's like, I, I think it's like really offensive. Really, If anyone talked to me like that, I'd be, I'd be super offended. So anyway, that's Socrates' style. Euthyphro just has to deal with this. Um, constantly being told how smart he is when it's pretty clear Socrates thinks Euthyphro is an idiot. So after all this introductory dialogue, we get to the first philosophical moment and Socrates poses the question, what is piousness? What does it mean to be pious? And so Euthyphro gives an answer. And I would say this is quite a reasonable answer, but you of course can judge for yourself. Euthyphro says, quote, well then, what is dear to the gods is pious. What is not is impious. Socrates says, We have also stated that the gods are in a state of discord, and that they are at odds with each other, and that they are at enmity with each other. Has that too been said? Euthyphro, it has. Skipping a bunch of back and forth here, Socrates continues, Then according to your argument, my good Euthyphro, different gods consider different things to be just, beautiful, ugly, good, and bad, for they would not be at odds with one another unless they differed about these subjects. Would they? Euthyphro, you are right. 
And now Socrates seizes on this fact, this idea that things could be both loved by the gods and hated by the gods, and suggests this is like a serious problem for Euthyphro's definition. I want to use a, a consistent analogy throughout this dialogue. I think it's really helpful, okay? If we just sort of break this down in the form of a similar case that's not based on religion. Let's say that Euthyphro believed that his car that he drives is safe. That was his big claim. And Socrates wanted to problematize this. So he says, Euthyphro, how do you know that your car is safe? And then he might say, oh, it has some certificate of safety from the dealership or something. It has, it's been, it's been inspected. And then Socrates will say, ah, but is it not true that sometimes in different inspectors come to different conclusions? Like that might be true, but does that really matter? You know, I would argue that this whole long line of dialogue, which Socrates is now going to like exclaim is like this huge problem in Euthyphro's uh, idea about piousness is so irrelevant to Euthyphro. Euthyphro is interested in, is this particular act pious or impious? And it's so frustrating that Socrates seems to be unwilling or unable to engage with the practical question, with like the important question, the question that Euthyphro is grappling with, like, is this act an a pious act or not a pious act? And he insists on dealing in like this abstract general case, which is so irrelevant to the circumstance at hand. So again, now this is Socrates sort of rounding off this like long back and forth they had about the fact that the gods argue about what is uh, good and what is not good. So now Socrates says, so you did not answer my question, you surprising man. I did not ask you what same thing is both pious and impious, and it appears that what is loved by the gods is also hated by them. And now, finally, after this like long digression, uh, Euthyphro sort of gets them back on track uh, in, in a very helpful way, recovering from, I would say, like the way Socrates almost derailed this conversation. He says, quote, I think, Socrates, that on this subject, no gods would differ from one another, that whoever has killed anyone unjustly should pay the penalty, right? So Euthyphro sort of grounds them back in the original topic. I don't care about the gray areas, right? Because, of course, in moral systems, in any moral system, there's gray area. In any religious system, in any body of religious text, there's going to be gray area and ambiguity. He cares about this case, is it just or unjust? And he says, I do not think that this is an ambiguous case. And so all this point about the fact that the gods might argue is not relevant to me. And then Socrates goes off on a tangent, which like, to be honest, I do not understand the relevance of it all. And then in the middle, while he's like in the weeds on like this weird topic about like, what are the nature of these arguments? Socrates has an epiphany. He says, quote, this thought came to me as you were speaking and I am examining it, saying to myself, if you, if Euthyphro shows me conclusively that all the gods consider such a death unjust, to what greater extent have I learned from him the nature of piety and impiety? The action would then, it seems, be hated by the gods, but the pious and impious were not thereby now defined, for what is hated by the gods has also been shown to be loved by them. So what Socrates is saying is even if you prove to me that what you're doing is pious, basically, is loved by the gods, you still will not have defined piety which is just, to me, such a frustrating example of, like, Socrates refuses to engage in anything practical. So now, we get to the heart of this dialogue, the most famous moment of this dialogue, the, the, the enduring Euthyphro paradox. Here we go. Socrates says, quote, Consider this, 
Is the pious being loved by the gods because it is pious? Or is it pious because it is being loved by the gods? That's the big euthyphro question. It's important to understand that in these Socratic dialogues, Socrates does not ask hard questions. He asks his interlocutors obvious questions, simple questions, questions with super simple, clear, obvious answers, because the goal is to take like obvious question with obvious answer, obvious answer, obvious answer, obvious answer, contradiction, you know, and to show that like all these things you saw are obvious are actually lead to certain sort of internal inconsistency. So the answer that Socrates is expecting to see here, the answer that he eventually gets from Euthyphro is that something is loved by the gods because it's pious, right? If we say the gods love it, they love it because it's pious. Back to our analogy. We're dealing with a car. Is the car safe? So the answer is, it's safe if it has some sort of certificate of safety. And then Socrates asks, does it have a certificate of safety because it's safe? Or is it safe because it has a certificate of safety? Now, Socrates, ever the metaphysician, ever thinking in terms of the abstract, thinks it's totally an obvious question. To him, it's a no-brainer. It has a certificate of safety because of some metaphysical abstract quality of safeness which exists in this car, okay? But that's not really correct. It's actually a much harder question than that. If we wanna be super precise, we could say that both answers are true. There might be some abstract metaphysical construct of safety, but for all intents and purposes, the question that human beings, that regular people worry about and care about is, do I know if it's safe? And the way I know if it's safe is if it has a certificate of safety. And so another equally valid answer, which Socrates does not accept as a valid answer, he rejects, but I would say is a perfectly valid answer is that no, it's safe because of the certificate. I know it's safe because of the certificate. That's all I care about. That's all that matters. Now, another problem with the Socratic dialogue is that we're going to see very soon Euthyphro gets completely lost. Socrates loses Euthyphro. I would say, I think he loses a lot of readers as well, if we're being honest here. Uh, Euthyphro says to Socrates, I do not know what you mean with this, is it loved by the gods? If it is it pious because it's loved by the gods? Or do the gods love it because it's pious distinction? He says, I don't get it. And then Socrates tries to explain to him, and you tell me if, if you think this is a helpful explanation from Socrates, because I certainly do not think it is. We speak of something carried and something carrying, of something led and something leading, of something seen and something seeing. And you understand that these things are all different from one another and how they differ. I think I do, says Euthyphro. Socrates. So there's also something loved and a different thing, something loving, of course. Tell me then, whether the thing carried is a carried thing because it is being carried or for some other reason. No, that is the reason. And the thing led is so because it is being led. And the thing seen because it is being seen, Euthyphro says, certainly. Socrates. It is not being seen because it is a thing seen, but on the contrary, it is a thing seen because it is being seen. Nor is it because it is something led that it is being led, but because it is being led that it is something led. And he goes on and on and on like this. So like, again, Euthyphro was thoroughly lost at this point, um, which is sad, which is very sad. So to sort of recap, Socrates gets Euthyphro to admit or to say that a pious thing is loved by the gods because it's pious which in our analogy is like saying a car has a certificate of safety because it is safe. And now Socrates is going to seize on this and say, since 
it's loved by the gods because it's pious, we have no longer defined piety anymore. We don't know what it means to be pious because all we've said is that it's loved by the gods, which is a symptom of the fact that it's pious, not a cause, not a source of it being pious. So Socrates is going to say this. And as I read through Socrates saying this, uh, I just want to sort of notice how unclear he is in the way he talks and how confusing he is and how thoroughly confused Euthyphro is in hearing all this um, and probably many readers as well. Okay, Socrates. It is being loved then because it is pious, but it is not pious because it is being loved, Euthyphro apparently, Socrates. And yet it is something loved and God loved because it is being loved by the gods, Euthyphro of course. Then the God loved is not the same as the pious, Euthyphro, nor the pious the same as the God loved, as you say it is, but one differs from the other, Euthyphro. How so, Socrates? Because we agree that the pious is being loved for this reason, that it is pious, but it is not pious because it is being loved. Is that not so, Euthyphro? Yes, Socrates. And that the God loved, on the other hand, is so because it is being loved by the gods by the very fact of being loved, but it is not being loved because it is God loved, Euthyphro, true, Socrates. But if the God loved and the pious were the same, my dear Euthyphro, then if the pious was was being loved because it was pious, the God loved would also be being loved because it was God loved. And if the God loved was God loved because it was being loved by the gods, then the pious would also be pious because it was being loved by the gods. And and he continues like that for a while. It's, it reads like uh, Dr. Seuss, basically. Uh, I would compare that to some, some Dr. Seuss uh, books that I've read, um, which is to say it's it's a mess. It's a total mess. All right. Euthyphro complains a little bit at this point, Socrates, saying, uh, it's really hard to have a discussion with you. He uses this analogy of making my arguments go up, get up and walk away, which is to say, like, I try to have a normal discussion with you and you get lost in, like, the woods, in, like, minutia that is, like, not relevant to what I want to talk about. Um, and I just want to say that I am really empathetic with Euthyphro in this situation. Really empathetic. Okay. Now we get into another crazy digression, which just builds confusion on top of confusion. Uh, I think Socrates thoroughly lost Euthyphro in the God-love discussion. And now he wants to say, what is the relationship between piety and justice? And Euthyphro has no idea what Socrates is talking about. And I'll, I'll clarify Socrates' language because, again, he, he doesn't express things clearly. But what he's trying to say is that piety is really a subset of justice. That's what he's trying to get Euthyphro to understand by asking these sort of Socratic questions. And that piety is the subset of justice that deals with the gods as opposed to dealing with like human matters of justice. Okay, interesting way to define the terms, not a big deal. They have a long back and forth, which I'm not going to read because I find it extremely tedious to read. I think we already got the point with what we already have read. And it's going to end with, Euthyph with Socrates claiming that he got Euthyphro in this like crazy contradiction. And I'm going to read that contradiction now. The moment when Socrates says like this ultimate, I gotcha. You do not know what you're talking about. Socrates says, the pious is then Euthyphro pleasing to the gods, but not beneficial or dear to them. So Socrates is now talking with Euthyphro about pious things in the context of sacrifices. And so sacrifices don't directly benefit the gods, they're just sacrifices. Um, but they're pious and they're dear to them. So Euthyphro says, I think it is of all things most dear to them. So Socrates says, so the pious is once again what is dear to the gods. Euthyphro, most certainly. And then Socrates has this amazing gotcha moment. When you say this, will you be surprised if your arguments seem to move about instead of staying put? And will you accuse me of being Daedalus who makes the move? 
though you are yourself much more skillful than Daedalus and make them go round in a circle? Or do you not realize that our argument has moved around and come again to the same place? You surely remember that earlier the pious and the God-loved were shown not to be the same, but different from each other. Or do you not remember? Euthyphrus says, I do. Socrates, do you then not realize now that you are saying that what is dear to the gods is the pious? Is this not the same as the God-loved? Or is it not? And so anyway, this is super confusing. Super confusing, and I will explain. I know Euthyphro did not get it. I think a lot of readers probably will struggle to understand what the hell Socrates is talking about. I will explain it. In the first part of the conversation, Socrates was talking about piety with Euthyphro, and they were talking about morality. They were talking about the morality, the piety of condemning a murderer in court, of prosecuting a murderer in court. And so Euthyphro agreed with Socrates that these things are loved by the gods and the reason he said they're loved by the gods is because they're moral they're just and then later in the context of sacrifices euthyphro says these things don't directly benefit the gods but rather they're loved by the gods because they're commanded by the gods meaning they're pious because the gods love them they're not loved by the gods because they're pious Basically, in short, Socrates identified two forms of religious obligation. There's moral religious obligation, and there's ritualistic religious obligation. And Socrates basically showed through very convoluted reasoning and very convoluted line of questioning that moral obligations are probably loved by the gods, and that's why they're pious, whereas ritualistic obligations are pious because the gods love them, because they're commanded, basically. I think if Socrates phrased that clearly, Euthyphro could probably come up with an answer and say that these are different categories. You know, they might behave slightly differently, but anyway, that didn't happen. So that's that's basically the dialogue. I think that there is something important, though, about Euthyphro's paradox, about this question. I think in real life, in day-to-day life, religious people do grapple with this question. Not in the same way Socrates and Euthyphro talked about it, but in a, in a very basic way. Religions that put obligation on their adherents leave open a question. What is the role of intuitive moral reasoning, of an intuitive sense of morality in religious life? This is basically asking. Does God command things because they're moral? Or is morality defined as the set of things that God commanded? This is the question that Huck Finn grapples with when he's deciding what to do with the runaway slave Jim. And I think the insight that Huck Finn has in that scene is that the only God worth worshiping is a God who is moral, is a God who is constrained in a way by our own moral intuitions. Because if God isn't moral, then what would be the difference between worshiping God and worshiping a demon? Maybe you're worshiping an evil God. And so I think that is the 
lasting question, the lasting legacy of the Ephifro dialogue. And it's a question that any religious person should consider at some point.